can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Hey, 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 it is time for CPO Thursdays. I am Rudy Stankwitz, and I am here with you today, as I am every Thursday, bringing you insights from the world, the certified pool operator, talking about things that you might talk about in the CPO class, definitely things that you will run into in the CPO field. And as usual, I always try to give you real-world scenarios, so this way you have things that you can relate to, things that you've seen in the pool before as you're out there in the day-to-day, just like I used to be when I was out there in the day-to-day. God, I wish I never lost my ability to walk because I loved doing pool service, and I do miss it. That's a fact. But anyway, I'm doing all right with this, and I am really enjoying teaching, so that's a good thing. Uh, Speaking of teaching, check out my CPO schedule. You can go to my website at cpoclass.com. Click on the CPO certification schedule tab. That'll take you to both my in-person and virtual classes. So you can come and meet with me face-to-face. We can spend a couple of days together, get you certified. Or if you like, you can attend one of my CPO certification classes from anywhere in the world that you can get an internet connection. And again, still two days back to back, still face to face, just virtual instead of in person. So we do still get to chat. I do keep those classes to a minimum. That way we have nice intimate groups. So that way we get to make sure that everybody gets to ask the questions that they want to ask. Nobody feels like they're hurried. And we have plenty of time to discuss the things that are important to you, the things that you want to know. Also on the cpoclass.com site, I have the CPO practice test tab. Click that. No matter who you have for a CPO instructor, if you're planning on going to a class, all the information on that page, super valuable. Everything from flashcards to practice tests, a couple of downloads, some smaller classes that you can take. Some are free, some at a fee, but a nominal fee. Everything there is designed to get you geared up and ready for that program so you have as much possible education going into the class as you possibly can before participating in the class. Talk about a way to get a leg up. That is a fantastic way to go about it. So again, check that out at cpoclass.com. Right now, I'm going to go get me a cup of coffee. You do the same. We'll be back here in a minute. And then it is algae time. <laughs> Thank you. 
before I jump into the different ways we kill algae, I want to talk about some of the ways to prevent it because obviously preventing it is a heck of a lot easier, a heck of a lot less expensive. So there are some things that we can do to make swimming pools that we take care of less inviting to algae. And then hopefully it doesn't show up. And if it does, then we'll kill it. But there's no reason that we need to put a welcome mat out for it either. So a couple of things to keep in mind. Algae does not like fast-moving water. It likes very slow to stagnant-moving water. So if you are aware of any dead spots you have in circulation in your pool, if you have through-the-wall returns, play around with those, loosen the collars. You can manipulate those, point them at different areas in the pool until you get the circulation that works best for your system. Are you always going to be able to solve problems that way? Well, if you have some dead spots, maybe, maybe not. If your pool needs to be replastered, that creates thousands of little dead spots in circulation. Picture the nooks and crannies in an English muffin. That's what happens to the surface of the pool when it needs to be replastered. And all those tiny pinholes, algae is microscopic. There's enough water in there for it to get a foothold. Once it gets a foothold, it is a heck of a lot easier for it to colonize. Obviously, plastering the pool is going to be the solution. We speak about phosphates often. And I know there's a lot of folks out there that have been in as long as I have that think to themselves, well, gosh, you know what? Phosphates weren't even something anybody even spoke about for the first 10 years that I was in the industry. Why should I worry about it now? And I hear you. I was there. But truth of the matter is, phosphate is one of the nutrients that algae needs to survive. It's the only one we can control. The other things that are on the table, CO2, water temperature, nitrites, we don't have any control there, but we can control phosphates. So reducing the level of phosphates will absolutely help in preventing algae. Can it be done without it? Yeah, but it's going to take a higher level of chlorine to make it happen. The way the past couple of years have been going, maybe it's not a bad idea to do something that can help us stretch out those supplies. Like borates, for example. Establishing a borate level in your swimming pool is a fantastic way to prevent algae. Whether you get it from borax or boric acid, it is an algistat. Of course, it will also prevent your pH from rising. It's not going to stop it. It's a buffer against an upward drift in pH. So it just makes it a lot harder for the pH to increase. It takes things that would normally increase the pH, and it changes them into something that won't. So there's a lot of benefit there. Algae, especially mustard algae, which has been a real son of a bitch in the past couple of years. Mustard algae loves water with a higher calcium hardness level. If we're looking at that ideal range of 200 to 400 parts per million, hang out near the 200 part per million mark. You're going to be in a lot better shape as far as keeping that water free of algae, especially mustard algae, which you know, again, is a tough one to get rid of. Let's make it so that the water is not inviting to mustard algae. The majority of strains of algae we get in a swimming pool prefer a higher pH. We have an acceptable range from 7.2 to 7.8. Hang out near that 7.2 mark. It's nothing to do even with the chlorine efficacy here. Right now, we're just talking about the pH of water that algae prefer. And again, the majority of strains that you do see in swimming pools like it on the higher end. To avoid them showing up and hanging out, let's keep ours on the lower end. 
brushing the walls and floor of the pool on a regular basis. Once a week, once every two weeks. I'm okay with once every two weeks if that's sufficient. When you do that, you dislodge algae from the walls. And when you dislodge algae from the walls, both of two things can happen. You give the chemicals in the water 360-degree access to that algae cell. It can get all around it now, whereas before, adhered to the wall, you only had 180 degree of algae surfaced. The other thing you do is you launch it into the water so it gets caught up in the circulation, so it can hopefully get caught up in the filtration, backwash. Chlorine is still one of the most fantastic algicides you can use when you use it in a strong enough dose. Green algae remediation is at 30 parts per million of chlorine, and you're going to want to keep it there for a good 24-hour period of time. Keep it at 30 parts per million for 24 hours. If you're not using cyanuric acid, you may be able to make this happen with a lower chlorine level. I would not recommend jacking your chlorine level up that high in a vinyl or fiberglass pool. Too much to risk there. If you're looking for some dosing information, some of the more common chlorine types that we use, sodium hypochlorite, which is liquid chlorine at 12%, one gallon in 10,000 gallons of water will give you a 12 part per million chlorine level. So you're looking at just shy of three gallons there in a 10,000 gallon pool to reach that 30 part per million level. Calcium hypochlorite, 73%, one pound in 10,000 gallons. That'll give you an 8.7 part per million increase in chlorine. So there we're looking at what, three and a half pounds of calcium hypochlorite in that scenario to get us there. You have to remember that we want to put enough in in order to maintain the chlorine level at 30 parts per million for that 24-hour period of time. Anytime the level dips below 30, it's going to take a longer amount of time. So this is not a dump-and-run situation where you just toss a shitload in and hope it lasts for that 24-hour period of time. You're going to have to come back and test this repeatedly to make sure that we are up above that 30 part per million mark. But like I said, it's a lot easier to prevent it than it is to treat it. Keep the calcium hardness low. Keep the pH level low. And when I say low, I mean, of course, in the acceptable range. We don't want to go below the acceptable range. But you can be on the low end, and you can still balance to your saturation index by manipulating the total alkalinity. Sodium bromide does a fabulous job with mustard algae. It does a great job at getting rid of it. The chlorine in the water, when you add the sodium bromide to it, oxidizes the sodium bromide upon addition. The result is free bromine, which is hyperbromous acid and hyperbromide ions. The existing chlorine bank in the pool water causes the reaction. Otherwise, without it, bromide salt really doesn't do much of anything. It's kind of lazy and it needs a kick in the ass. And chlorine is just that kick in the ass that it needs. Bromous acid is a damn fine algicide. The main benefit of using bromine is that there's no bonding with cyanuric acid going on whatsoever. They're just not attracted to one another. Remember, when we speak about cyanuric acid, we discuss how it lessens the efficacy of chlorine. Bromine does not have that issue. It doesn't attach to it. It's not going to be a problem. It's not that it's a better algicide because it's really not. It's just that without the attraction to cyanuric acid, it's more effective than chlorine. Repeated additions of a sodium bromide-based algicide treatment in a pool treated with chlorine will result in your pool being a bromine pool. 
That is until it outgasses, but that could take quite a bit of time. Using sodium bromide is not recommended for use with pools that use UV, ozone, or in saltwater pools. Even the UV from sunlight could be problematic because it could lead to the production of harmful disinfection byproduct known as bromate, which is a carcinogen. I've mentioned it before when we talk about responsible dosing. Any of these things that you add to pool water that a test kit exists for, you should own that test kit. EDTA and ammonium sulfate is also popular. That's ethylene, diamine, tetraacetic, and dehydrated ammonium sulfate. The EDTA in the product is widely known for its antibacterial properties and actually is commonly used in hospitals as a sanitizer. It also is the active ingredient in one of those big brand names, chlorine wipes. Nope, they're not using chlorine in those. It's actually the ingredient in the wipes. EDTA is also a chelating agent. Here's one of the big areas where it helps us out because it reduces schmear adhesion. That's the property that algae uses to stick to the walls. Black algae, some of the more tenacious strains of mustard algae, everything that it uses to adhere to the walls. On the downside, chlorine oxidizes EDTA very quickly, so a large dose will increase chlorine demand. The other half of that equation is when chlorine reacts with the ammonium sulfate that was added, and what you end up with is monochloramine. That's right, we produced the chloramine. We produced a lot of chloramines, actually, in adding this product. Monochloramine is slower at disinfecting than free available chlorine, so it actually lasts in the water a heck of a lot longer. It also has no attraction to cyanuric acid, so those bonds will also not exist to slow down the chlorine's effectiveness in that chloramine or combined chlorine form. That's what happens when we add that product, that EDTA, ammonium sulfate combination. Not only do we reduce the algae smear adhesion with this disinfectant that's commonly used in hospitals, we create chloramines and let the chloramines chloraminate and kick some algae ass. And in the scenario when you have a pool that's utilizing cyanuric acid, I'm sorry, chloramines are just more effective at destroying algae than the free chlorine would be. There are also products out there in the market that just use ammonium sulfate without the EDTA. So here we are relying 100% on the chloramination to do the job. We talk a lot about green algae, mustard algae, and black algae. Of course, we know black algae from my research. We discovered that that is actually cyanobacteria. Well, it's actually it's a biofilm with cyanobacteria as the primary constituent, and it's the polysaccharidic secretions that come from that cyanobacteria that create that schmutz, that other things within the body of water like Nigleri fowlery, Legionella, diatoms, yes, other forms of algae can take harbor inside our black algae cyanobacteria biofilm masses. White water mold is something else that comes up from time to time, and we really don't hear as much about it. White water mold is known as saprolegnia. It looks a lot like mold under a microscope, which makes it misleading. It's not a mold as it's named, but it does have a lot of the properties that a mold has. A lot of folks are inclined to think that it's a mold because of those properties. However, it is a one-celled organism, more similar to an amoeba than anything else. Even though the name given to the phylum means egg fungus, white water mold is actually a biofilm with the primary constituents there being Saprolengia spp and Chytridomycota. So it can't be a mold because mold is in the fungus family. And here, only the chytrids are in the kingdom of fungi. So technically, it's one half pathogenetic mold and one half saprotrophic necrotrophic eukaryote. 
But you can't blame them because the appearance makes it look like a mold. To me, it looks like glops of wet toilet paper. White water mold is parasitic. So if it's there in your pool, that means there must be some decaying matter somewhere that this white water mold is feeding off of. Pink algae, sometimes called pink slime. It's rarer than white water mold. You're less likely to see that in a pool, but you do see it from time to time. It's a hitchhiker. You won't see it without white water mold. Methylbacterium is what it's called, is one of those bacteria we often seek protection in the cellulose glucose schmutz produced by white water mold. We talked about hitchhikers. We talked about things seeking harbor in biofilms. Well, this is the bacteria that seeks harbor in white water mold that gives it that red-pink color earning methylbacterium, the nickname of pink slime. Outside of AOP, advanced oxidation process, copper sulfates have proven very successful in the remediation of white water mold. And if the bacteria, methylbacterium, our little pink slime buddies that sometimes hitch along. We've also had a good amount of success in remediating white water mold with DBDMH. Those are bromine tablets that only produce hyperbromous acid and not the hyperbromite ion. Oxidation supplied by installed generators, you actually have to have some foresight here. Or if you find that you have a pool where you're having reoccurring problems with white water mold, you can go back and then install an ozone generator or UV, again, with ozone doing the better job of the two. Advanced oxidation process is also a fantastic way to go. If you have a pool that's having a lot of problems with white water mold, it keeps reoccurring. You could go whichever means of producing it that you want, UV ozone, ozone hydrogen peroxide, UV hydrogen peroxide, or you can go with the combination of all three, hydrogen peroxide, ozone, and UV. What these systems will produce is the hydroxyl radical, which is the neutral form of the hydroxide, and that destroys organics by literally breaking them apart, a method that's often referred to as cracking. And I think this is a good stopping point for this Thursday. Right now, we'll bring this one to an end, and we'll continue with Methods of Killing Algae next Thursday. In the meantime, if you like the episode, if you like the show, throw us some stars, write us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts, and I appreciate you. Until next time, be good, be safe. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 